0: Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork and today we're going to be talking about embracing hope after tragedy. I'm honored to welcome special guest Tricia Roos. Tricia is the author of the best-selling book When Wishes Change. She is a Dallas wife and mother who built a winning career in sports and high school admissions but found her greatest victory in loss. You can reach Tricia at her website, whenwisheschange.com, and on social media at whenwisheschange. Welcome, Tricia. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Thanks for having me. First, I'm sorry for your loss. Would, would you be willing to share your story about your special daughter, Annabelle?
1: I would absolutely love to. to thank you for that. So um, I guess it all began in 2014, and my son, who was three and a half at the time, started asking for a lady baby, which the translation was a little sister. So I guess at daycare, he had noticed that some of his friends had been recently receiving babies and he decided he wanted one too. And so we weren't exactly sure how to answer that at the time. So we just said, oh, well, pray to God and and maybe you'll get one. Uh, So my husband and I started that discussion at the time. and, And decided that we were ready for another child. And so probably about three months later, we found out that we were pregnant. And in the first few months, everything was perfect. Um, I was sick and nauseous, but at the appointments that we went to, everything seemed healthy and great. And I remember at the appointment for the 12 week visit, we still didn't know gender and my doctor mentioned that we could do a blood test to reveal if the baby was a boy or a girl. And since I am a planner, I said, absolutely, let's do the blood test because I really, really want to know. So didn't think much of it after that day. About 10 days later, I received a call from her and I could tell in the tone of her voice it was a little bit more serious, but she allowed us to know that the baby was a girl. However, that she had trisomy 18. So I knew nothing about trisomy 18. I said, okay, how do we fix that? And she said, I'm sorry to let you know, but this is typically a fatal condition, and there's absolutely nothing that you can do. So unfortunately, at the time, I was out of town, and I was at a work conference. So I had to get on a plane, and there were thunderstorms, and it took me forever to get home. And when I got home, the very next day, my doctor had sent us to a specialist to confirm the diagnosis to make sure it wasn't a false positive. And so very quickly on his more advanced sonogram technology, he let us know that it was indeed trisomy 18. His immediate recommendation was terminate the pregnancy and to move on to a healthier pregnancy. Um, in the days to come in him explaining this to us, he believed that it really wasn't worth just the time to have this child. And that it might be too hard for my son and for us as a family to deal with. Because it would be a difficult pregnancy. And of course, that was extremely shocking to hear that he was dismissing her life and asking us to move on. And so my husband and I said, well, we are not going to do that. We're going to continue with the pregnancy and whatever God's will is for her, whether I lose her in the next few weeks. For months, or she makes a full term or lives for years. We want to allow this to be God's story and, and not support the pregnancy. So I was about a week out from starting volleyball season. I was a high school volleyball coach, and as director of admissions, I worked with about a thousand new families every single year. So I decided the best plan of action at the time was to send an email to.
0: Everybody we knew
1: and coworkers and friends and my volleyball team to let them know what our decision was and what was going on because I really just didn't want to explain that story to hundreds and hundreds of people over and over. And I wanted everybody to know what our decision was. And for those next several months, my high school volleyball team rallied together and won the state championship in her honor and it was an amazing act of selflessness to see teenage girls come together like they did for us and for our family. It also served as a really great distraction, to be honest, from the pain and the tragedy to just have a little bit of a different scene uh, on the volleyball court and have some fun every day to give me a little break from the tears and some of the pain. And then about a month and a half later after the season, I gave birth to her at the large hospital downtown here in Dallas. And she was actually the first live trisomy 18 birth that these doctors that we were working with had ever witnessed. So after about four minutes, they were trying to get her to breathe. And finally we heard a cry. And really from then on, she lived on my chest. They always talk about kangaroo care being best for the baby to regulate heart rate. And as soon as she was on my chest, she was able to stabilize her breathing. And every day and every minute was just a miracle to have her because you're not supposed to be alive with a trisomy 18 baby with a two-chamber of her heart. And she just kept living and, and kept surprising all of the doctors and nurses. So she actually passed away at home when she was six days old in my arms. And I mean, that moment was, obviously the hardest of my entire life. Uh, But now that I'm six years out from that experience and I've gone through it, I've experienced grief, I have had many setbacks with my grief. I feel like I'm in a place now where I can tell others it will be okay if they're going through a tragedy in their life or a similar circumstance and almost just walk them through some of the emotions that I experienced because I think it's really valuable to have someone on the other side, if you will, of grief and loss. And not that it ever ends. I mean, we will always grieve the loss of our child, but at least we feel like we're in a better place to help instead of constantly being helped.
0: That is amazing. So many things to think about. I, my heart is just, it just hurts. The loss of a child is one of the most challenging things that a person can face in this life because there's so much love. And I think it's beautiful that you loved your daughter enough to give her every chance and to enjoy every moment with her. And in her short life, and even before she was born, she was an inspiration. She was an inspiration to your volleyball team. And I think that that's a beautiful tribute and a memory that these these girls who are now, you know, young women are going to be able to carry with them for all of their lives, that they did something that was special and meaningful. And that's, that's quite beautiful. So I, I'm wondering how your son did with, with all of this. I mean, you're adults and you made some very hard choices, um, but he was a little boy. How did he handle it?
1: Well, one thing that has always stuck with me is that this specialist that had recommended the abortion, said so this would be too hard for your son to to deal with. And again, now that I'm six years away from the situation, I feel like the Bible calls us so many times I have the faith of a child. And I never fully understood what that meant until I walked this road with a three-year-old. And in our prayers at night, he was insistent on praying for God to let us meet her, for her to be on earth and, for us to, you know, interact with her because there was about a 90-something percent chance that it would be a stillbirth. And so his faith was just so strong that he would meet her. But at the same time, as we prepared his heart to know that if she was born alive or not born alive, that her body was not healthy like our bodies were and that God might have to call her back to heaven to fully heal her. And although that's a very weird and difficult decision that no one wants to have with their child, he would contemplate that. And and it was easy for him to understand that on earth, we are not completely healed and we are not whole and that in heaven we will be. And so, you know, of course, when we brought her home from the hospital, he (laughs) told us, I told you God would let her come home. I mean, he was, just so insistent that that would be the story that we would take her home with us and then I remember the day before she passed away she was having some pretty severe apnea episodes and getting weaker so we did send him to the grandparents house because we didn't want him there when it potentially happened and after obviously a lot of tears and and being upset that she was gone I felt that very shortly after he had this amazing picture of heaven and eternal life and he could reflect on it. And even though he was sad to be missing her, he could say, one, well, so happy she's healthy in heaven and that she's with Jesus. And as he grew older, I remember one time we were, he was getting his hair cut and the stylist asked him, how many siblings do you have? Because that's a very common question. And he said, oh, I have a sister in heaven. Her name was Annabelle. And that was very matter of fact for him. And then when we had another child um, later, when he was asked the question, I have two sisters. One is in heaven and one is on earth. And even I think up until last year when he was, you know, filling out a get to know you form or sheet for his teacher, he has continued to tell people that message to write that on anything that is asked about siblings. And it almost made it easier for me because it's very strange as an adult uh, when someone, a complete stranger, says, Oh, how many kids do you have? And you think, Do I want to go down this road and say three and two are alive and one is not? And then what kind of conversation may that lead to and how difficult may that conversation be? But as I um, walked through this journey and the grief. I am so much more confident, like Cameron, to say three. Two of my children are here on earth and I say their ages, and one, um, died when she was six days old and she's in heaven. And most of the time, the reaction is perhaps shock or maybe not eye contact or just, I am so sorry for your loss. But over time, I feel a lot more confident. With my answer and i honestly think that came from my son and watching his faith and really what the faith of the child should mean to us
0: and that becomes for you an opportunity a consistent opportunity to be able to share the good news of the gospel that your daughter is in heaven and that she is with jesus and that message of hope without that hope And what you have endured is extremely difficult, but without that hope, to me personally, I would find it impossible.
1: Absolutely. And that has been probably what God has spoken to me over the last six years is that, number one, she was never meant to live more than six days. And so early on, and I think this is really common for women that have lost a child or had a miscarriage you kind of go through these phases where, you know, around her one-year birthday, anniversary of her death, um, you see another one-year-old and you grieve what would be. So you think about, oh, would she be walking? What would she be doing? What would she look like? What would her hair look like? What would her personality look like? And I think God just spoke to me and said, That wasn't my plan for her. My purpose and plan was for her to only live six days, and that was it. Much like your plan and my plan. I mean, whenever it is that we are supposed to die, we will die, and then it isn't supposed to be longer than that. And the purpose of her life is to bring others closer to Jesus and to help others in similar situations, grieving (laughs) that may not have faith, that may be completely lost that may be challenging their faith and wondering how in the world am I supposed to find hope in this terrible situation and why would God do this to me? I'm supposed to at least be a voice to help, you know, now that it's been several years and I'm in a place to help and and hopefully bring people closer to the Lord because of that experience.
0: Thank you, and thank you for what you're doing. And I appreciate that you mentioned after several years you were in a place to like, I don't want anyone listening to come up with the, the idea that, well, I had a tragedy, so I should just bounce back. I think we need to allow ourselves time to heal. And I think God is absolutely compassionate understanding. It's just you grieve, you love, you take care of you, and then when you're ready, then you can use these gifts to help and bless someone else. So thank you. That is amazing. So I have um, a little question about your book, the, the title, When Wishes Change. So what did your wish change to? What was the first wish, and what did it change into afterwards?
1: So the initial wish is was to have a healthy pregnancy. I mean, we were ready for another child. We were super excited about bringing another child into the world to share life experiences with our son. I grew up with a, a sister and knew that, You know, we were three years apart, and we had a lot in common and had a play date at all times, and and we wanted that for our son. And when we found out the diagnosis, I had to learn to allow my wish to change. I couldn't fight the wish and say, no, I refuse to accept this. I want a healthy baby. I want a healthy baby. I had to change my wish to, I just pray that I can meet her alive, or I pray that, Today, God, you can help relieve some of the anxiety and and the pressure on my heart. And, And even it continues to evolve because, you know, once I did meet her alive, my wish was, I want to have another day. I would love to have tomorrow. And then when she died, my wish was and turned into, I hope and wish that her life will have impact. And then as enough time went by, I wished for another child. Because I still wanted a sibling for my son. And despite any age difference, they're still siblings. My kids are now, you know, my two that are alive are five years apart. And that's still wonderful. And they still love each other. And they still play together. And so, so many people, you know, think of this magical age difference where you have to have your kids two to three years apart or else. And it's okay if that doesn't happen that way. And so I also wanted the book and the title to be more broad than infant loss. Just the idea that if you wish in college to be something, right, a doctor, or you were going to be a lawyer, and then somewhere along the way, God gently guides you to another plan, or it doesn't work out that way, you can't dwell on the wish that didn't come true, because then you're closing your eyes and you're not open to opportunities that God is presenting in front of you. And I wrote this book completely over the pandemic, basically. And so I was watching on the news people's wishes changing and families being destroyed by a virus and people dying. And all of us that had small children were locked in the house, homeschooling and working. And none of us wished for those things to happen. But we had to allow our own wishes to change in order to see the beauty in it. And so, you know, even in the pandemic, I remember complaining so often about the situation. And then my own book title almost slapped me in the face. And I said, I have to be happy that I'm spending more time with my children and I get to see them more and I don't have to get up and get dressed up and be on the go all the time with sports and activities in life that we could have some time to be together, as hard as it was some days. And so my own book title has spoken to me in many ways. I find that when I'm having conversations with people, I will often just say, well, when wishes change, you know, as a phrase. And so I, I do hope that the book is inspiring to anyone who has experienced a change in their life that was not something they initially wished for.
0: That is so fantastic. And I recently spoke with a man who's. It was in college. He was on scholarship for baseball, and he got together with a, just a group of college buddies, and they were playing football, tackle football. And he got tackled, and it broke his neck. And then he was paralyzed, and everything changed, and he just gave up. He tried to kill himself a couple times. And when he ended up in the hospital getting some help, His um, therapist said, I want you to read this book. And he handed him Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. He says, you're going to read a chapter, and we're going to talk about it. Read a chapter, and we're going to talk about it. And one of the things that Viktor Frankl teaches is that he who has a why to live can handle any how. So if we have a purpose and meaning and direction in our life, we can handle the challenges that come our way. And I think what your book is doing is helping people to make that transition. Because that can be very challenging. Sometimes the wishes are, are small changes, and sometimes they're huge changes. So that is beautiful. Well, you've coached for many years, 20 years. Is there any tidbits that you have learned from working with these, these teenagers for all this time that maybe you could share with us?
1: I mean, I think I can have a PhD by now based on life experiences with teenagers. <laughs> But yeah, absolutely. So I would say that being a coach and having a background as a coach really helped me through my journey because one thing that hit me early on was I am constantly asking these girls to show up every day and give their best and to try their hardest. And that isn't conditional on winning and losing. It is always try your best. And at the end of the day, if we lose the match, if you feel like you gave it all on the court and you tried your best, Then you can't go home upset. You can be, you know, a little upset that you didn't win, but you can at least feel encouraged at the fact that you tried your best. You got a little bit better today and tomorrow you'll be back at it on the court. And so I felt like if I was telling teenagers every day of my life, I need you to work your, your hardest, never give up, you know, give it all on the court. Then I too had to give it all. So. I had to decide, I'm not going to give up on my daughter's life. I'm going to do everything I can to make it through this pregnancy. And then if I get to meet her alive, I will do everything I can to provide all comfort and care that I can for her to make it to where at the end of her life, whenever that may be, I feel like I gave it my all. And with that, I feel like you can have more closure in any life situation if you try your hardest and you give it your all. And so I really think that, you know, the coaching background and what I had been preaching and teaching for years came back at me in this situation. And I remember before the C-section, I used some of those visualization techniques that I taught in volleyball on myself, just having positive, encouraging words in my head and continuously saying over and over, I will meet her, I will meet her, I will do my very best in this situation with whatever you know, God provides me, um, it helps me every day of her life not to give up on her behalf. And so I've continued to use those principles and coaching in my life with my kids, raising my children. Um, now um, I've done a little bit of a career shift and I'm doing coaching to coaches. So I get to work with coaches. Most all of them are younger than me to walk them through Um, how to be the best coach and how to be there for teenagers and how to understand teenage girls um, as best you can and to help them overcome trials and tribulations that they face. And so I think that, you know, being a coach actually benefited me in my journey with Annabelle uh, because of what I had been teaching for so many years.
0: What I love about what you're saying, I mean, many things, but that you practice what you preach and you go ahead and say this is what's going on and then you don't just say this is for you and I can do whatever I want, but you also are looking in the mirror and say this is what we need to do. And I love when you talk about that positive visualization and not giving up. I think that helps so that you can enjoy the time that you did get to have with your daughter rather than wasting that time feeling that grief and that sorrow and that hopelessness that that became a treasure to you that you can carry forever. And, and the grief, we can wait a little while on that. But today I'm going to enjoy this moment. So beautiful, absolutely beautiful.
1: Yeah. And honestly, um, I've come to realize, especially with visualization, I'm very hard on myself. And I know that throughout my life, and I think back when I was a teenager, right, where You're never good enough or you want to be, you know, skinnier or be in a different size. I mean, there's all these things, especially women, go through. And because I know that I struggled with body image and um, with positive thinking when I was a teenager, I conscientiously think of that when I'm coaching young girls. And so even yesterday, I was helping run a volleyball practice for fifth graders And fifth graders are very self-conscious because especially when they're new to a sport, they don't want to look bad. They don't want to make mistakes. And so at the very end, I made them do a visualization exercise where they visualize themselves serving the ball and passing the ball and seeing themselves in their best moments. And as I looked around the little circle, all these little girls with their eyes closed, as I was talking through the exercise, and telling them to envision, you know, the ball going over and scoring a team point, they were just smiling with their mm-hmm. eyes closed. And it made them excited to think of themselves doing something positive for their team. And I said, I'm going to ask you something, but I and I'm not going to be there to hold you accountable, but I need you to do this before your game next week so that you can envision yourself at your best moment and go into your game with a positive attitude. Because when I asked them before a game, do you get nervous and scared and every hand went up? And I said, well, why are you scared? I don't wanna make a mistake. I don't wanna mess up. I don't want the crowd to see me do something bad. And so you heard that admittedly, even at a young age, they have all these negative thoughts going through their sweet little heads about um, fear of failure. And if we can just flip the script on that for our children, imagine what it can do for them as they grow up and they um, become adults. And if they have a more positive image of themselves and think positively, it can make tremendous impact in the world.
0: That is fantastic. And all these things that you're sharing and those fears and those doubts, those are not exclusive to teenagers because as adults, we still carry those fears and those doubts and that still desire to be a different size and a different shape or a different whatever. And so I love the idea of being gentle and kind on ourselves and thinking positively and using that technique. So thank you for sharing that. That is universally applicable.
1: Yes. I admittedly still struggle with doubt and with anxiety and worry, and God walked me through such an amazing journey where he proved his faithfulness to me over and over, and I still feel like I am living that hope and joy, and then I wake up the next morning, and here I am doubting again about something else, right, about whatever will happen that day or a certain situation or something else I'm going through, and so it's just a constant process for us to keep relearning what it means to not worry and to trust and to have blind trust in God. And, and maybe, uh, I mean, some people struggle with that harder than others, but I think whatever area if you can self-reflect and know that you struggle in, that's the area where you really seek out God's word and seek the help from others to get you through those situations.
0: Isn't that wonderful that we don't have to do it on our own? And I believe he'll help if we ask. But I think the asking part is very important. He's not going to step in and take over because he loves us too much to interfere with our agency. It's like, if you want to do this, go ahead. But if you want my help, I'm here. Just ask for it. So excellent reminder. Love that. Well, in closing, I'd like to share a quote from author David Platt. He said, God uses sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph, whether in this life or the life to come. If you are struggling with a sorrow or tragedy or disappointment in your life, I invite you to open your heart and your mind to the possibility of a future triumph. See you next time on Linda's Corner.